Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. Before I begin, I just want to remind everybody I will be at the Long Island Retro Gaming Expo doing a panel Saturday morning in about a week and a half on August 10th. So if you're going to go to the show anyway, or if you're around the area, please swing by. I'd really love to meet everybody. And also, thanks to everybody who commented about the whole microphone thing. I'll explain more at that at the end. I don't want to waste anybody's time at the beginning again, but let's jump right into it. First up, the RGB Pi team has released the JAMA Pi board. Uh, I actually have one right here, and I'm trying to make plans to go to a friend's house next week to install this and really give it a try. But essentially, it works exactly like their RGB Pi SCART adapter for Raspberry Pis, but can plug directly into a JAMA adapter with pretty much nothing to worry about. Just plug it in and go. Um, for six-button consoles you'd, or, or six-button games, you'd have to wire it up to the six-button JAMA standard. I'm actually not sure if that's a standard or if it's just kind of what people have been doing. Um, and everything else is controlled via software so it looks awesome i can't wait to try it out uh, and they also have custom software to go with it and that's equally as exciting to me because there's so many different builds of, uh, of emulation software out for the raspberry Pis. some work better than others um, some devices aren't compatible with all of them but up until now it's really been the rgb Pi team who's made the software that i tend to use the most so i'm really excited to try all that out i'll try to get a video on it or something but if anybody's interested you could buy it right now it just won't work on the raspberry pi 4 at least yet it's only working on the 2b 3b and 3b plus so um, not too big of a deal but hopefully they'll add raspberry pi 4 support in the future and i'll keep everybody updated Terra Onion has just released a new firmware for the Mega SD that allows it to run Virtua Racing. So a very quick recap, the Mega SD is the only ROM car available that also plays Sega CD games, and it played pretty much every game Sega offered from the Master System all the way up to the 32X, except Virtua Racing because of the SVP chip in there, which I still think was totally fine, it's only one game, but then Terra Onion contacted the creator of the SVP core for the mister, Sergey, and he allowed them to integrate that into the Mega SD and use it. So now it plays virtual racing. I think it's still a tiny bit buggy, but whatever. Now you have the full library on there. I'm sure as the Mr. Core starts to get updated, this will as well. And it's very cool to see this thing get so many updates before it's even officially released yet. I believe the first shipments went out already um, and they're en route or something like that now. So very cool. I'm looking forward to uh, hearing other people's opinions of this cart when it comes out. But I still think uh, it is a fair price for every that you get everybody likes to tease me about how i certain how i sometimes say expensive things are inexpensive or fairly priced but the truth is just think about it if you if your sega cd is broken or if you don't own one 
think about it from that perspective. If these games are important to you and you just want to be able to play them stress-free, this might actually be a more cost-effective solution overall. Now, if you have a perfectly good working Tower of Power, you know, everything's flawless, you already have a stack of Tyoyudin CDs and you already have an EverDrive, no, this probably isn't for you. And it certainly wouldn't be considered uh, inexpensive if you already own the other equipment. But if you're like me and all of your Sega CDs are barely working at all and they need full recaps and you know lasers and belts and gears and all that stuff, seriously consider this one then because it'll, uh, it'll definitely solve all the problems. And of course, check out the full review uh, if you haven't already for pretty much every detail you need to know on it. The team behind Laka, the really great front end for emulation on a lot of devices, including the Raspberry Pi, has just updated it with support for the Raspberry Pi 4. Now, you need to get that from their nightly build link, which is right there in, in the post. Um, if you already have one of the main builds and update it, you can't just swap that SD card over to a Pi 4. You need to use the specific build. But they will be adding that to the main download release fairly soon, I would assume, as soon as the last bugs are worked out. Uh, but this is pretty exciting because the Raspberry Pi 4 should supposedly give you a pretty big jump in power. Uh, I got mine sitting next to me. I did the upgrade on it, which actually was way easier than I expected. It was. It took like five minutes start to finish to do the firmware update. Um, and I got it all ready to go. I just want to start testing movie playback as well as emulation. And hopefully I'll find time to do that this week. So uh, anybody with a Pi 4 that wants to test out emulation, uh, definitely give this one a shot. A new custom firmware called RF Dumper was just released that turns the Retro Freak emulation console into a cartridge dumper. And I think that's a really awesome use for this because I know devices like the Retro Freak were things that brought a lot of people into the retro gaming scene that didn't realize that they had, that they wanted to be here, I guess. So they saw one device that played all these different games in the original cartridges. Uh, and some people, that's good enough, but a lot of people have gone from the Retro Freak and the Retron 5 back to using original hardware for all the reasons that I don't need to explain to all of you. Uh, but now you're left with a Retro Freak that you don't know what to do with, and I think this is is an awesome use for it. Um, it's a little bit complicated to set up the firmware. Uh, you have to download the version that matches the size of the SD card you're using, which is uh, can go up to 32 gigabytes. Normally in a situation like this, you can go higher, but not specifically for this one. Um, then you need to configure your SD card to run a different RetroFreak software and then just add those files to that directory in the card. And then when you boot it, um, it should it should flash and function normally, but when you plug in the cart and it uh, dumps it to the SD card, which is what, how all of these work, just for anybody that um, needs a refresher, all of these software emulation boxes that use real carts, every time you plug in a cart and launch it, it dumps that uh, ROM, or it dumps the cartridge to a ROM file, and then you play it from the ROM. It can't do it in real time. So rather than dump that as encrypted, it dumps it as unencrypted, as well as the save file. So it's really a great way to back up your own carts, your own save files and all that. Uh, the only thing is it kind of functions normally after you do this, but it won't save your save files. So if you do add this dumper firmware on there, um, unless, you know, unless you're just messing around, I wouldn't, I would no longer use the Retro Freak to actually game on, or I guess put it back to the other firmware. Um, I would only use this as a cartridge dumper because there could be other adverse effects. But overall, I just I think it's really awesome that people that own this thing that maybe don't use it as much anymore now have another really great use for it. So uh, check it all out in the post, and um, the, everything else is linked on GitHub as well. 
Retro Access has just released a fully shielded coax S video cable that's compatible with the SNES, N64, and GameCube. Um, overall, I think this is a great choice for people that were looking either just for a high quality S video output, maybe you have a PVM without RGB and just need a S video, or even a really nice consumer grade TV. But this was also the example I was using when talking about the Super 64. When I said a good RetroTINK solution is about the same price, I kind of had envisioned a scenario where if somebody just has an original console, you could buy the Super 64 for 150, or you could buy this cable, the RetroTINK 2X, and a power supply, which you probably don't need with the TINK 2X. You probably already have a cable laying around, but just being thorough here. So this is kind of what I was envisioning. Really good S-Video cable with the TINK 2X and a power supply will work with all of those other consoles for the same price as the Super 64, as well as any other console that has composite S-Video or component. So um, that is my strong recommendation over the Super 64 in pretty much every scenario other than the ones I mentioned last week. Uh, so just being honest, just always try to be, I always just try to be blunt and give an honest opinion. And if people are pissed at that, at least they're pissed for how I really feel. <laughs> so if uh, you need a really good quality S video cable, um, this one, there's a few other ones on eBay, but they're inconsistently in stock. Uh, so if I believe retro access has a good stock of these. So if you're looking for a good quality one, uh, pick up this one, check out the, the eBay links. They're also on my N64 page. And between all of those, you should be able to find somebody in stock that has something of this quality. A developer on the SMS Power Forums has resurrected an old VDP test software and updated it to work with both versions of the Game Gear. So this is essentially just test software that you throw in a ROM car and run to test and make sure that the chip is working properly. It runs in SMS mode. Um, but it will work on both versions of the Game Gear. And of course, if you load the software for the wrong version, it shows errors and vice versa. Um, to be honest, I'm not exactly sure what this could be used for, uh, but I, anytime something like this is released, I'm, I'm quite positive that if I talk about it, there's going to be at least a handful of other developers out there going, oh, that's exactly what I need to test my, you know, insert cool new thing here. So I figured I would let everybody know. Anyone on the West Coast this weekend might want to check out the Vintage Computer Festival this August 3rd and 4th, I believe this Saturday and Sunday. Um, it's at the Computer History Museum in Mountain View, California, uh, and they're going to have a bunch of cool stuff there as well as a few Apple One computers, which is neat because I don't ever remember seeing one of those. Um, I, you know, I don't have as much interest in some of the classic computers as some of the other writers here, but I do have a lot of love for them. I grew up, my first, uh, my first computer my family got was a Tandy 1000. Then the first computer my parents got me was a TRS-80 Color Computer 2 with a tape drive and everything. So, um, you know, I, too bad that's on the West Coast. I would have loved to have come over and seen that. But hopefully we'll have something like that on the East Coast someday as well. So anybody around Mountain View this, uh, this weekend, you might want to check it out. Two developers just released a brand new Virtual Boy homebrew game called Red Square. The game was made for the 2019 Yumi Nikki fan game contest and was completed in six weeks, which is really impressive. I believe one of the developers programmed it using NEC V810 assembly and the other developer did the graphics on it. Um, and while the project isn't a joke, it's kind of like um, a tongue in cheek, maybe a little bit satire about the game. 
so I would read up on it if you're interested, but I'm always just excited to get more Virtual Boy homebrew. Uh, also, the developers have completely open-sourced the game. They don't really want to work on it anymore. They've completed it as is, but they've just left the code up there for people to do what they'd like with, which is awesome because that means, you know, Virtual Boy fans get to try out a new game, and now other Virtual Boy developers might be able to use this as a stepping stone to build their own game. But overall, it seems pretty neat, and uh, if you have a Virtual Boy and a way to play ROMs, check it out. There's been a pretty large update to the emulator called Emulicious, which I believe is an emulator that's really focused on developers, not so much just playing the games. Um, and one of the biggest updates is it enables you to load your own source files into the debugger, rather than step through a full disassembly of your own code when developing the game. So it sounds like it would cut a lot of time out of some of the busy work involved in coding your own game. Uh, and it works with Game Boy, Game Boy Color, SMS, and Game Gear. Um, I myself have used it a bunch of times to get screenshots, and uh, I think I know a bunch of developers that use it to test out their own SMS games. So uh, if you're an SMS dev, definitely check out an update to the latest version and see if any of the enhancements uh, can work for you. Just a few things before I wrap it up for this weekend. Uh, first of all, thank you again to everybody who commented about the microphone test thing. Um, I realized that I had been overthinking the entire problem and missed a very bonehead detail that you would think somebody who's recorded music before would remember. With a new microphone like the Procaster, you're supposed to stand really close to the mic, not a foot and a half, two feet away from it. Uh, so that's kind of why my voice sounded so empty last week. I tried another experiment on last week's Q&A and messed that up too, so I think this week's went exactly as I'd hoped. Uh, anybody who's willing to comment once again on it, the first half of the podcast was with the new mic, the second half was with this mic, and the things that I'm most concerned about is background noise. Um, while it would be nice if my voice could sound more professional in these things, the number one concern I have is anything going on, you know, a horn down the street. I stop recording if there's anything bad, but sometimes some of the other stuff, you know, going around my neighborhood still gets picked up by the mic. Um, and so that's really the one thing I was hoping to get everybody's opinion on. Now, hopefully I didn't, you know, hopefully this, this week went smoothly and you have two fair comparisons rather than last week when I, I wasn't using the Procaster correctly. Um, the only thing to mention too is I bought just a cheap desk stand just because, you know, I, I didn't want to have to buy a whole bunch of equipment just to end up returning it. So if you heard anything like me clicking my mouse or bumping the desk, that's not what I'm talking about. If, uh, if you all decide that the new mic is better, I'll get one of those wall mount arms for it. That way you'd never have to hear me bouncing around or hitting anything anymore. So hopefully one last time, please vote. Um, you know, just comment your thoughts on this, which one you like better. Uh, and just a polite reminder to everybody that complained. Uh, I'm sorry that you're upset, but I'm not going to stop trying to make less background noise for all of the people that wear headphones while listening or just listen through their computer with uh, some good speakers because uh, while you all seemed annoyed, the ones that commented on that, there's many more people that were way more annoyed about there being a lot of background noise. They were just polite and didn't want to bust my chops about it. But I know it was there and I know it bugged people and I really want to work to make sure that these are just always easier to listen to any way I can. So uh, thanks to everybody for putting up with this. Um, hopefully I'll have a clear winner next week and just you know either return the mic or switch to it. I am a little annoyed that you kind of have to see the mic in my face the entire time I'm talking, but whatever. Uh, you know I guess it's a small price to pay if it cuts down a lot on background noise. 
So enough of my rambling. Thank you all for watching, listening, commenting, and all the like. Uh, hopefully I'll see a bunch of you in a week and a half at Long Island Retro Gaming Expo. Uh, and if not, I have a few more panels that I'm doing this year, so I hope to see you there either way. But take care. I'll see you next week.